Please open your Bibles to the prophet Ezekiel. We're in chapter 37 of Ezekiel. Um, This is part of our series on 20 chapters of redemptive history. We're doing an Old Testament survey just to try to understand a little bit better the, the arc of what God was doing to prepare his people for the fullness of his salvation in Jesus, very, very much what Phil was alluding to, all of these types and pictures and theophanies, uh, places that are saying, you know, be on the lookout, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And so we've got another, another scene just like that here in Ezekiel 37. So let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, And I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for speaking your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your Spirit's efficacy, and we pray that you would indeed, even now, send your Spirit among us, among the dry bones uh, that we carry around, where we need life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And please be seated. Um, God's people were desperate. God's people had been conquered. Jerusalem had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. This is 600 years before Jesus and many of God's people, including Ezekiel, had been deported um, to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. They were, they were living in a foreign land 700 miles away from home. And they're all wrestling, as you might imagine, with where is God? What happened to his promises? What happened to his presence? And they're really questioning, is all this just history now? Is it all gone? Uh, is there any hope? Is there any hope left? Um, so we're going to look at what you know, God uses through his prophet Ezekiel to, to share with God's people so that their hope can be restored. Uh, this prophecy that that God wants Ezekiel to speak in this really interesting vision, uh, this, this valley of dry bones that I'm calling his zombie prophecy. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about regeneration, we're going to talk about redemption, but let's, let's begin with this sort of zombie apocalypse prophecy of this valley of, of dry bones. And, um, and, and I was actually like kind of sending out a little, a little text blast yesterday to some of our medical professionals and some of our kind of interesting um, and uh, curious people who may perhaps, I don't know, have such a thing as like a skull lying around their house because you know how much I like props. None of our doctors, none of our you know, medical people, none of our weirdos had any skulls uh, laying around, none, none buried in the backyard, nothing you know, on the mantelpiece, no Hamlet soliloquies that they could share with me. So I was like, rats, I don't have any cool props. I don't have any cool bones. And I thought, no, I do have bones. I have bones. I have skulls. I have skulls laying around. In my basement, little Lego pieces, little, little Lego bones, little, little Lego skulls. Look at this one even glows in the dark, little Lego skull. Like all these little bone pieces that, that are fun and, and, and playful and, you know, kid, kid stuff, right? And isn't that, isn't that kind of what we do? If, you, if, I mean, if you've been around the church before, if, you, if you're familiar with Ezekiel 37 and you know the the valley of dry bones and Ezekiel's prophecy, chances are you probably first became familiar with it maybe in some kind of Sunday school class. And there was some, some little flannel graph or you know, some, some Bible coloring pages of, of, a, of a cartoon like Ezekiel and he's standing in the middle of a cartoon you know, environment, you know, valley with cartoon little, little bone pieces all laying around and it's cute. Right? And it's kid-friendly. And it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's good that we make biblical content accessible to little people, but we have to grow up. And we have to reckon with what is actually you know, being communicated in Ezekiel 37, and it's awful, the setting. 
you know, Mike, Mike Kelly's praying up here and he's talking about, you know, the power of God and the, the thunderstorm. What you can see and what you can smell and what you can feel as that storm approaches and the power of God on display. And he was stealing my thunder <laughs> uh, for this sermon because I want you to be aware of all of the senses here in the valley of dry bones. What was Ezekiel seeing? and smelling, and feeling. I mean, what did, what did he see? He, we get a picture of it right here. You know, see, behold the bones, the very dry bones. I mean, bones everywhere. It's not a valley of dry bones. It's a boneyard in a valley. And then what did he smell? Like, can you smell the stillness of this dead place, like when, when you're in a circumstance like that, I mean, when's the last time you've been in the Valley of Dead Bones? But, but it's just a place of death. It's a place of defeat. It's a place where you almost want to hold your breath because I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to smell. And what do you feel, right? The, you can feel the way that, that, that God is describing these bones. You can feel how brittle they are. They're dry. They're very dry. What do you hear in this valley? Well, you don't actually hear anything because it's dead. And all you hear is silence. You feel the power of God and the breath of God's Spirit blowing on these bodies. You can hear the sound of the rattling bones. This is a sensory overload as, as Ezekiel's standing in this valley seeing God do the absolute impossible. Can you, can you imagine being Ezekiel? I mean, these bones apparently belong, in this vision, uh, they're, they're, there's a defeated army of God. In verse 9, you can see that God is calling Ezekiel to breathe on these slain. They've been slain in battle. This valley was once a battlefield. It's dry, and it's still now, but it was once full of war cries and shouts of of anger and desperation, and it was once soaked in blood. It wasn't dry. It was full of death and defeat. It was a picture of God's curse on God's rebellious people. It's a terrible environment. One of the commentators, Leslie Allen, says that this visionary scene, a gruesome one, is gradually unfolded. What were once corpses had long since been rotted or been eaten away into fleshless bones. I want you to have a grown-up picture of the valley of the dry bones. That's the scene. That's where Ezekiel has been called to stand and to, to prophesy. God asks Ezekiel a very strange question. Son of man, Can these bones live? Ezekiel did something very smart. You know God? I mean, 
What's Ezekiel thinking? No. No. How, how does Ezekiel respond? He's thinking these are the deadest bones I've ever seen. But you know God. God does know. And in verse 7, <laughs> I, I mean, there's, there's such a juxtaposition here. There's, there's, there's carnage and there's kind of just some humor too. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I did what I was told. It's a good idea. It's a good idea to do what God commands us, even, even if we don't understand, even if we cannot connect the dots or make a lick of sense out of what God is telling us to do. It's, it's always generally a good idea. Do what God tells you to do. And you see in verses 9 and 10 the result. Verse 10, I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So what was once this slain army is now a powerful army, and they're all standing up. Um, you've got this, this incredible you know, um, word play going on that you, you, you can't see in the English, but in the Hebrew, you get the same word that's repeated again and again and again, and the word is translated in English either breath or wind, or spirit. And so, you know, you look at verse 9, prophesy to the breath, and uh, say to the breath, uh, come to the four winds, and, you know, breathe, and, and, you know, on and on. And then in verse 14, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. So this is God's powerful spirit breathing on these dead, lifeless bones that Ezekiel's saying, thinking there ain't no way they can live. And God says, yes, they can. And furthermore, they're this vast, uh, exceedingly great army. Uh, and, and again, if we had kind of the, if you could read Hebrew, if I could read Hebrew, but here's what the commentators say. It literally says, uh, they stood on their feet, an army, vast, very, very, right? Like that's the original language, an army, vast, very, very. So you go from complete annihilation and defeat and destruction and death in this valley to a, a, an army great, very, very. All by the fiat of God's word. You know, him just speaking and it happens. His spirit, his breath, his, his wind, bringing life where there was death. Um, and in verse four, you know, all this is happening because God tells Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Um, you know, we, we sang a couple of hymns this morning calling everything to praise the Lord, right? Calling what things? And why are we praising the Lord? Because he's the creator of all things. And he made the sun and the moon and the stars, right? And he created all uh, us and, and he set everything into being. Um, and we read about that in Genesis 1. And there's a direct allusion to, to what was going on in the original creation and, and here this recreation, a regenesis in Ezekiel 37. Because in, in Genesis 1, you know, you know, it's the beginning and God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. You know, there's just silence, right? There's, there's no life. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God speaks and he says, let there be light and there was light. And you know, the rest of the days, you know, 
Let there be land. Let there be water. Let there be you know, animals. Let there be trees. Let there be plants. Let there be ladybugs. And everything you know, that he says happens because he speaks it. Hear the word of the Lord. But, you know, Ezekiel speaks God's word and, and he sees these skeletons get on sinews and flesh and, you know, tendons and so on. And, uh, and, and yet there's still not yet complete sort of a two-step regeneration. And, well, actually, in, back in Genesis, it took two steps, Right? In, in, in Ezekiel 37, verse 9, you know, he, he prophesies to the, to the breath. He says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And, and in Genesis 2, God creates man, he creates Adam. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He makes his body, right? But it doesn't have life in it yet. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So you've got this picture of, of regeneration or a recreation in Ezekiel 37. And it's God's work. It's his sovereign, powerful word at work to bring something out of nothing. Can these bones live? You, you know God. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Just by virtue of God's word. In verse 3, God told Ezekiel, uh, he asked the question, can these bones live? And, and I'm, I want you to think for a moment, what would it take for, for these you know, lifeless, scattered, dry, very dry bones uh, to actually have life? Uh, this isn't the case where you've got like a dead body. I mean, you know, if you've got a corpse, then the sort of there's this thought of, well, maybe God could, could revive that or resurrect that body. I mean, remember there was the widow's son that Elijah had raised and Ezekiel's audience would have been familiar, you know, with that story. And, and actually in, in 1 Kings 17, he, that little boy was described this way. There was no breath left in him, you know, sort of that idea of God's breath and his spirit having to revive us. But, but a skeleton's beyond reviving. The only way these bones will ever live again is by God's miraculous work. So, you know, with, with, with wounded, um, with even mortally wounded people, there's, there's still sort of a desperate sense, even among those who are... Um, who, who that person's loved ones. Asking the doctor, the EMT, the nurse, the whoever, can, can, you, can you do, you, you've got to be able to do something, right? Like there's still this hope that something can be done for the you know, perhaps mortally wounded loved one. But there's absolutely nothing that Ezekiel or anyone else can do to bring life to, to that circumstance that Ezekiel was standing in the middle of. It's just dead beyond dead. But God makes them live again. And he sends his spirit to do what only God can do, which is give life. And he does it without Ezekiel's aid, he gives life without our aid. There's nothing that anyone can do to stop him. He's 
absolutely sovereign in the way that he grants life to these bones, and they come to life because his spirit fills them. And it's the same today. God grants life to our spiritually dead existence because he's the sovereign Lord. This is how he operates. We don't help and we can't hinder. He works beyond us sovereignly and it happens because God is powerful and he is merciful. So, Jesus was explaining the the operation of the Holy Spirit when he was having that conversation with Nicodemus in in John chapter 3. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, um, this is kind of very similar to the Hebrew where the same Hebrew word can be translated wind or spirit or, uh, or, or breath. It's the same in the Greek. The wind or the spirit blows wherever it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You can't contain or constrain God. He can't be uh, helped and he can't be hindered. He works sovereignly and that's how regeneration works. That's how salvation works. Being made alive again in Christ is a gift of God's powerful mercy in our lives. Sin makes us not only resistant to God's call, I think we get that. Most people would say, sure, it kind of hardens our hearts, makes us callous, makes us indifferent, but it does more than that. Sin makes us dead to God's call. Just the, the, the general call to believe in Jesus and hear the gospel, no, we're dead to that without the powerful, life giving operation of the Holy Spirit to come and blow on dead hearts and make us alive so we can hear, so we can see, so we can taste. Preaching. <laughs> The, the idea of, of me or any other you know, pastor or preacher standing in front of a congregation and, and there are presumably people who are unbelievers in that congregation preaching to unbelievers and, uh, and, and for that matter for all of the efforts that you and I have in, in conversations with our neighbors and coworkers and family members who are unbelievers, all of those acts of, of, of speaking God's word is like standing, just like Ezekiel, in the middle of a boneyard saying, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You and I are a lot like Ezekiel. When we share God's word, we are sharing that word. If our audience does not know God yet, they are spiritually dead. Can these bones live? What do you know, Lord? And he knows who he's going to save. And he knows who he's going to show mercy to. And he knows who he's going to bring to life. We don't. And that's really kind of interesting, isn't it? Because that means that evangelism and sharing the gospel and reaching out to your friends and neighbors doesn't depend on your persuasiveness. And it doesn't depend on their spiritual receptivity and maybe their you know, readiness and so on. You know what it depends on? It depends on God. It depends on his powerful spirit and it depends on his mercy and grace being poured out abundantly on whoever he wishes. 
And that means we can have confidence to share with anyone. Because it's not our job to go, well, that person looks like maybe they, they, those bones don't look too dead. I'll share with those bones. Those bones over there are really dry and really dead, and I'm not going to waste my time. That, that logic is out the window. Dead is dead. And, we, and, and all the bones need the same powerful work of the Holy Spirit, regardless you know, of, of our persuasiveness, regardless of what that person, you know, whether they're nodding or you know, frowning. Just speak to the bones and depend on Jesus. The good news is that he will bring to life those that he's going to show mercy to. The gospel is that God saves spiritually dead sinners like us. It happened to you, it happened to me, and it can happen to others. J.I. Packer writes in Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God that there is no magic in methods, not even in theologically impeccable methods. When we evangelize, our trust must be in God who raises the dead. He is the almighty Lord who turns people's hearts and he will give conversions in his own time. And meanwhile, our part is to be faithful in making the gospel known, sure that such labor will never be in vain as we depend on God's work. There's one more thing that we need to see. Yeah, it's kind of this zombie, prophetic, apocalypse scene in Ezekiel 37. And it's a picture of regeneration, God's powerful spirit making alive what was dead. There's one more thing that you need to see. It's also a picture of redemption. Our tendency is to simply uh, see this episode in Ezekiel's ministry as a picture of, uh, or an echo of Genesis, of, of creation and regeneration. That makes sense, I get that. But it's only half the story. Because Ezekiel's not standing in a neutral space. He's not standing in, in, a, in a kind of bland space. He's in the middle of a boneyard. It's not holy ground. It's not a place of potential. It's, it's not a place of blessing. It's a place of defeat. It's a place of death. It's a place of the consequences of sin. And it's a place that is cursed. In Jeremiah 16, you know, we were looking at Jeremiah last week, and um, he says that, do not enter, the, the Lord told him, do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them, for I have taken away my peace from this rebellious people, this sinful people, my Steadfast love and mercy, declares the Lord. Both great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, and no one shall lament for them. Why, why was Jeremiah preaching this word of judgment on God's people, saying that they will not be buried, and no one shall lament for them? Because they were under judgment. This was God's call to repentance. Don't let this be your lot. Turn. Just like we were talking about last week. But that picture of nobody burying the bodies, nobody lamenting them, just being abandoned, being out, left out, is a picture of the curse. 
And the reason why we're looking not only at re regeneration, but also redemption is because Jesus didn't leave us abandoned in our sin. He didn't leave us hopeless in our uh, circumstances. He came to us and he stood in the middle of the world's carnage and decay and death. And he didn't just speak God's words. He was God's word. And he he didn't just prophesy to the bones. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy. In Ezekiel 34, or, you know, uh, um, or a couple of chapters earlier, Ezekiel says, uh, or God says through Ezekiel, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Listen to, this is, this is how Jesus is not just prophesying. He's the fulfillment of the prophecy. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep, declares the Lord God. I will, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Do you hear you know, Jesus saying the same thing, that I'm the good shepherd, and, and I go after my sheep? And if there's one lost, I'm going to go after the one that's lost, and I'm going to pursue that lost sheep into the wastelands, and I'm going to pursue my lost people into you know, their lostness, and I'm not going to let them wander, and I'm not going to abandon them. I'm going to come to them, even in the middle of their hopelessness, even in the middle of that cursed place. Jesus came and sought us out, and he pursued us into the, our places of, of, of defeat, our places of death, our, our places of sin. He even gave his life for us, trading his life so that he might take on our death and we would get his life. Do you remember where he died? On a cross, right? Do you remember what the place was called? Golgotha. The place of the skull. He went into the middle of our boneyard and he traded his life for ours. And Hebrews chapter 2 gives us a picture of this, that Jesus was made lower than the angels. You know, he took on our flesh and was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Do you remember at the beginning we were saying that Ezekiel's appealing to all of our senses? seeing these dry bones and, and, and hearing the silence and feeling you know, the roughness of those bones. And here we get that, that last sensory you know, thing of taste. That Jesus tasted death for everyone. What did the valley of dry bones taste like? It tasted like death. And Jesus knows what that tastes like. And he tasted death for us so that you and I might taste the wine of his life and the beauty of his kingdom. He suffered in our place and he came out of his grave just like Ezekiel was prophesying to these bones. And they would come out of their grave and he defeated death to deliver us from the curse. Ephesians 2 says that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we we're dead in our trespasses. Jesus made us alive together uh, in him. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
Ezekiel was placed in the middle of this boneyard and given what, you know, from a human perspective, seemed like kind of a pointless job to do, to, to preach to a bunch of bones. And what do you think Ezekiel expected would happen? Do you, do you think he imagined that God's going to bring this, you know, these scattered bones to life, make an army? I, I don't know. If you were Ezekiel, what do you think would have happened? I mean, it, it's, right? It's not hypothetical. We are Ezekiel. And so what do we think is going to happen when we speak God's words? What, what are we expecting as we hear God's call to speak his promises, to speak his life, and to speak his hope to the, the, the apparently hopeless situations around us, the hopeless situation that maybe you find yourself in? This passage wraps up in verses 11 through 14 where you know, God tells Ezekiel that these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. We're 700 miles from home. We've been conquered and there's no more hope. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves, O my people. And I'm going to bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and raise you for your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you will live, and I will place you in your own land. And then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. What do you, what do you say in the middle of death? What, what do you say to people who are dying? What do you say to people who wish they were dead? What do you say to yourself when you feel like death is all that surrounds you, when you yourself feel dead inside? Ezekiel is being told by God, preach to these bones. And if we are in the middle of a God-forsaken place, and if you feel like a dried-up bone, or if you're surrounded by people who feel that way, remember that God's saying, you're my people. He says it twice, verses 12 and 13. Oh, my people, you're my people. You say to yourself, you say to others who you know the Lord, you, you, you're his. I am his. We say, I'm raised with Christ. We say, his spirit is within me. We say, I shall live, and he will place me in my own land. He will bring me home. And you say, lastly, that his glory is at stake. He has spoken, and he will do it. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for... Uh, a valley of dry bones. Uh, we give you thanks for the impossible uh, charge to, to prophesy to dead bones. We give you thanks for your call to do what seems, the world even seems says is foolish. Um, Lord, we, thank you, we give you thanks for the gospel. Uh, the gospel that gives us hope where there's no hope. Uh, the gospel that says that there's life where there's no life because you can do it. 
because you are our sovereign, powerful, merciful God. We thank you for giving us life when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We thank you for that you can give life to those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. Would you find us faithful as your spokespersons, as your prophets? Would you find us faithful uh, as your recipients of this prophecy to believe when our lives feel like scattered dry bones? that you will do it, that you have spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name.